I'll say two. But you're you're close. And the, I'm close. No, but the one thing. <laughs> well, you're close. close. In this complete <laughs> hypothetical <laughs> argument, you're Judd. close. Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. This is why you cut funding for the arts. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to argue you that, know, Joe. I was going to say, I can't argue I can't, this guy. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. And Grossman follows with a blast to right center field. Run, run, run. A deep drive to right field. Back is Solaire. Four to two, Twins. Bye-bye. A high fly to left off the bat of Jimenez. Back to the wall, Bonifacio. And that ball is gone. Jimenez goes deep. And the Twins get the run back just like that. I'm a big fan of Jimenez. He's awesome. All right, Derek Wetmore is in here. He's also a big fan of Chris Jimenez hitting bombs. Leading behind the scenes, uh, which Derek does at 1500ESPN.com. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And That's I'm not the what we just said podcast. before Derek came in. <laughs> He's just sticking the We called him a clubhouse cancer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, um, man. Now it's out there. Yep. So, all right. I did a little digging last night just for fun because Judd brought this to uh, my attention via email. Judd, the advanced stats guru of the Mackey and Judd show. You know it. Doing columns on defensive runs saved, which is basically plus minus for your fielders, and Byron Buxton brings that number way up. The Twins lead the league in defensive runs saved so far this year. Not going to go into the weeds of how they calculate it. It's just the Twins are the best defensive team in the league to this point, according to defensive runs saved. The last 10 teams to finish atop this category, going back to 2008, the 2016 Cubs, 103 wins and a World Series win. The 2015 Royals, 95 wins and a World Series win. The 14 Cardinals and Orioles were neck and neck. Both won 90-plus games. Both won their divisions. 13 Royals, 86 wins. The 2012 Braves, 94 wins, playoffs. The 2011 Rays, 91 wins, playoffs. The 2010 Padres won 90. The 09 Mariners won 85. And the 2008 Phillies won 92 and a World Series. When you lead this category... You are not messing around. Average of 92 wins the last 10 years, the team that leads this category. So are they as, do they have Cliff Lee 2008? Do they have, you know, the Cubs lineup? No, I'm not saying that. But this is a really, really impactful category to be at the top of Derek Yeah, Well, and and it's good. It's good progress for the Twins that they are there, right? Think about where the Twins have been the last couple of years. And in a lot of ways, then it's surprising that the Twins are leading baseball in that. One thing I wonder, Phil, I, I wonder like which way the arrow is pointed. Are are good defensive teams always in the World Series conversation, or is it just that the teams that have been smart and good at building teams recently in the past decade have recognized the importance of defense and therefore end up in the top of that category? I, I kind of wonder because you see teams like the Cubs, like the Royals, sort of built on this premise that, hey, remember, defense is important too. It's good to score. 800 or 900 runs, but if you give up a 1,000, it doesn't matter. I kind of wonder which way the arrow points for that. And in the Twins' case right now, I, I think the the arrow is pointing and saying, like, well, they're a smart team. They're developing good processes behind the scenes on, on how to build a team smartly, and defense is a byproduct of that. Question for both you guys. Uh, the outfield defense, in my mind, as is, won't wane. It's just good. Sure. Do you do you guys believe that the left side of the infield defensively is 
for real because that's the one. I mean, they have been, to your point, Derek, Sano's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Polanco, who we questioned all spring, has been very good. It hinges on Polanco. Do you? So, so my question is this. What we're seeing from Polanco, do you think that's real or the the potential regression there is great? Your shortstop sets the tone for your entire infield. So Sano is an important piece, too, but you look at teams, you can almost throughout the last, well, probably forever throughout baseball history, but go to the last 20 years and just start looking at the best teams in baseball, the teams that win the World Series. Do they have a really good shortstop? And the answer is almost always yes. You know, Francisco Lindor, with uh, or Addison Russell with the Cubs, both those are two of the best defensive shortstops in the game, playing each other in the World Series. Uh, so if Jorge Polanco can just be solid, even doesn't have to be Ray Ordonez in his prime, but if he can just be solid, then the left side of the infield is going to be fine, and the Twins infield overall will be fine. But I don't know if we've seen enough yet to make a determination. Yeah, I like Sano uh, at third base. My question is, can he stay healthy for the full year? We'll just have to wait and see on that. Polanco, I definitely have my questions. He's got he's got the ability. We've seen him make plays, especially over the middle, turning over his left shoulder and throwing on the money to first base. That's a pretty impressive play. But we haven't seen him do a whole lot, range to his right, plant and throw. When when he has to really make that play in the hole, I'm not sure he has enough arm for it to make it consistently. And those are some of my questions. The the biggest issue I had this spring training with him, Judd. And he hasn't really done this in the season, so credit to him if he's fixed this problem. But it's this idea of a clock in your head, and I compare it to a quarterback in football. You sort of have to sense the pressure and know when the ball's got to be out of there. The same is true of a shortstop. You have to know who's running. Mm -hmm. You have to know how hard it was hit Mm -hmm. and how much time you have to maybe... Do you have a second to pat your glove and throw it over to first? Or do you have to just scoop it and field it on the money? I don't... I don't know if Polanco has a very well-refined clock in his head. You see him rushing throws, or you see him throwing just a little bit too late, and the cl- the play is too close for comfort. I still want to see more out of him this season to know if he's going to be the shortstop for the next you know, five, six, seven, eight years. But the early returns on that side for sure have been positive, and is, is kind of helping lead this defensive turnaround. Now, defensively, where I will praise one person in particular, and this is a guy who I thought would be good from day one at the position and it took him some time, but he's really good this year. Is Joe Mauer? Joe Mauer at first base has been flipping fantastic. Yeah, he made uh, he made it. What, what game was it in the last three or four days? He made a pick. Was it on Friday at some point? He made a maybe it was Thursday's game, but he's made a couple ridiculous picks to save guys. He ended a game with a pick of a bad throw from third base by Eduardo Escobar sometime in the last few days. Yeah, it's noticeable. Paul Molitor said that he's been the most impressed with. I mean, somebody asked a question about defense. And how good it's been this year, not to keep harping on the point. We all kind of thought he was going to say something about Byron Buxton and the amazing catches he'd made the past couple of days. And he made a point of bringing up Joe Maurer, how impressive it was. And, and his quote stuck with me. He said something about the, the, you know, the percentage chance that he makes a mistake just keeps going up by virtue of the difficulty, the number of hard plays he's made, the scoops in the dirt, the hops off the edge, of like the lip of the grass on throws. Those diving plays in foul territory, diving toward the line, trying to come up with a hot hit grounder. He said, in some ways, it's incredible that he hasn't really made mistakes yet. But can you look, Can you think back in your mind to where he screwed up and you thought, yeah, Maurer probably should have had that one. I can't think of one this year. And say what you want about his offense sort of deteriorating. At, at least he has helped buoy them there. You can Really, you can look around the infield and say... They've been good everywhere because Jason Castro's been ad- as advertised behind the plate. Joe Maurer is in the gold glove conversation as far as I'm concerned. 
Uh, Miguel Sano, maybe not that quite quite that echelon, but he's made some really nice plays coming in and that backhanded play where he shows off his rocket arm. Polanco and Dozier have been solid. So you add that with probably the rangiest outfield in the major leagues right now, and it's not too hard to see how the Twins pitching staff has taken a big step forward and why they're just able to convert more balls into outs. How many times out of 10 from this point forward this season do the Twins make the playoffs in your guys' mind? Just if there are ten universes, which of them are the twins? Yeah, in like, the how, like what percentage of the time from this point where they are right now do um, they wind up with at least one of those two wild card spots? Three of them, three out of ten. So like third, okay, Judd, uh, I'll say two. But you're you're close, and the, I'm close. No, but the one thing <laughs> well, you're close. close in this complete <laughs> hypothetical yeah. argument, you're yeah. close. So one thing see I, in the future, and two the, of them, I'll say two and a half. <laughs> the one thing I question is this. The wild card isn't probably going to come from the division, but you could win this division unless Cleveland takes off. Cleveland's a, so I'll say two. Cleveland is a better team. I think yes, Cleveland's a sleeping Cle- giant. Cleveland is probably a far better and, team, and they could take off. So, but I'll so, say two. so then you're sort of in the mix with the, the other American League wild card, and Houston's that division's over. I'm sorry, I know yeah. that Texas has been hot lately, but that division's over. So, could you? Does does the mid eighties? Does the eighty five to eighty seven win range, which is that's the optimistic case for the Twins. I don't think we're sitting on a ninety five. The pitching staff isn't good enough. The bullpen's not good enough for this to just be a ninety five win team and sure. everything is fixed. So, um, but yeah, the fact that we're even talking about that in May is sort of refreshing. It hinges know? to me, and and I'm glad that. Uh, soothsayer Judd tells me that I'm close. It means no, I'm, you're very I, close. I'm on the right track. <laughs> I can feel it right here I, as I rub my temples that right. you're very close, young man. The old Johnny Carson bit. Um, very good. I do wonder what happens at the trade deadline. That's what it hinges on for me. It's not, hey, do some of these guys come back to earth? Because, like, probably. You know, yeah, Jose Barreos is has had two phenomenal starts, and he's a big shot in the arm to the pitching staff. But is he going to be that guy every time out? Almost definitely not. Irvin Santana, we've already seen some of that regression start to kick in as he falls back closer to his career norms. Um, there, you, you go up and down the list. Now Phil Hughes lands on the disabled list. What are you going to get out of him for the rest of the season? Don't know. Some of these guys th- that have been carrying the team are going to come back a little bit. So that's not the question to me. The question is, are they supplementing this at the trade deadline or have they fallen out of it and they're selling off pieces? Obviously, if they're selling off pieces, zero out of ten times they make the playoffs. But if they're sort of hanging around, they're a couple games above 500 like they've shown to be right now. Who knows? Maybe they add a couple of pieces and then we're talking about a different team uh, the rest of the way. So that's where I'm curious. The question becomes at what price? I mean, that's exactly. a whole different conversation then because I don't think you're going. I think if you could add a couple of veteran pieces for a minimal, minimal amount, you definitely do it. I don't think you make anything, any trades that jeopardize your future. Yeah. We talked about the prospects thing, so yeah. I'm curious about that. But check this out. Over their next 50 days, if you include yesterday, the doubleheader. So I'm cheating a little bit. I saw this. You wrote it, yeah. Next 50 days, they play 50 games. That's absurd. This, I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's uh, that's leading up to the All-Star break, by the way. So then you get a couple days off, unless you're Miguel Sano or Irvin Santana, whatever. They'll have a couple All-Stars. But anyway, that little that little stretch here before the all between now and the All-Star break. 50 games in 50 days. How many actual off days do they have? It's like three or four, and then they've got some double headers to make up Jeez. for it. It's ridiculous. So pitching will be tested, both starting and relieving. The lineup 
will be tested. Uh, Paul Molitor and Derek Falvey and Thad Levine will be tested. How can you cycle this in, keep guys fresh? You're going to have to give Miguel Sano and Brian Dozier. Fuel up that plane from Rochester and Mac. And Max Kepler. You're going to have to give these guys days off to get through this stretch, but then you also have to balance that with you've got to try to win every single night. How do you you balance that? This is going to be... The stretch that defines the season, in and my your mind. opponents in general over those fifty games are tougher. You've yeah. played a lot of games against the Royals and the White Sox and the Oakland Athletics. You're going to wind up playing uh, American League East teams over that stretch. You're going to play more games against the Indians. Let's come back and discuss the last three to four weeks of Byron Buxton because Derek actually has a number. Byron Buxton's batting line in the first fifty plate appearances, and then his batting line since. And also, rest in peace to a Twins mantra. Mackie and Jeb with Derek Wetmore. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackie here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Mackie and Judd are back. Yeah, come on! On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd, our guy Derek Wetmore, covers the Twins for 1500ESPN.com. You can find our weekly Twins discussions on the Touch Em All podcast, iTunes, if you haven't subscribed yet, 1500ESPN.com. A few things to get to here regarding the first place Twins before we get to questions with Dave. Byron Buxton, you brought numbers to the table. Now, he's so good in the field that... You could, if he hits a hundred, he's one of the only players in baseball history. You'd say, you know what? I would still consider putting him in the lineup just because of his his glove and his speed. Mm-hmm. But give us the numbers for Byron Buxton offensively, first half of his season so far, and then the right. the second half so far. So, so I'm cheating a little bit because he's in an zero for ten right now, and we're just ignoring that because I think I think you oh, saw we're not enough. counting the zero yeah, for cheating. ten. We're totally okay. cheating. I think just to defend myself for a second that there's reason enough to believe that it's clicked for Byron Buxton that okay is he Mike Trout no but is he this hapless you know minor league player who's getting by just on his glove no he's better than that we've seen that now so in his first 50 plate appearances was when we were talking about this might not work he's striking out in more than half his plate appearances he's drawn only two walks all year he's not hitting his weight and he's a very thin guy this is bad news (laughs) In the 58 plate appearances after that, Buxton hit 271 with a 386 on base percentage. I mean, he's that's that's better than Joe Maurer. And uh f- you know, 458 slugging. But maybe more in- encouragingly, he's got 9 walks and 12 strikeouts over yeah. that time. So he's learned to spit on that two-strike pitch and and work the key- count deep and and if he gets into a spot where he could take a walk, he's willing and able to do that now whereas before it was just Hack City, flail away, fail to identify the pitch, swing and miss over the top of it. You've got no chance. Now Buxton at least has earned his way into the point where I start to consider, you know, maybe they move him up at some point here. Maybe he's not just a number nine hitter. Maybe he will uh, start he's to fulfill that. He's batted eight a couple that. times, so hey, slowly go. moving him up. <laughs> there you go. 
Can you slow your roll as I turn my mic on because I'm new at this job? Radio professional. Uh-huh. Just, just slow your roll a little bit. Let's let's leave him ninth for a while. Sure, that's fine. But the numbers would start to justify a conversation. I mean, part of it is, the, is he confident enough or will his mind be rattled by, okay, now you're the sixth place hitter. The Twins are going to need to find somebody to hit near that middle of the order. And if it's huh. Kenny's Vargas slash Robbie Grossman at DH, then then fine. Maybe that works out. Um, but all I'm saying is that we've gone from wondering if this guy belongs in Rochester to wondering where in the batting order he should hit because he's turned it on. He's figured out the strike zone a little bit more. He's figured out what other pitchers are trying to do. He's tracking the ball deeper. All of the signs, basically since that time that James Rousen, Paul Molitor, and Torrey Hunter had that chat with him on that Sunday afternoon he was benched in late April. Since that time, he's been a legitimately good major league hitter, and I think that's a tremendously yeah. encouraging sign for the Twins. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of the young guys who are figuring it out, Jose Barrios, that start on Thursday was a whoa start. Big One of those, yeah. not only is the light bulb flickering on, but it was that was a great Rockies lineup. Nolan Arenado is... The, basically the power-hitting leader of baseball the last mm-hmm. three years. And um, to see a guy with ease miss bats, get ahead 0-2 to almost everybody, that was impressive. Judd and I were just trying to think back the last 25 years of Twins baseball. How many pitchers would you, A, pay to see on a regular basis? And the answer is you know maybe Johan and Liriano pre-surgery and... I guess early Scott, Scott Erickson, Erickson would have been a guy like that, but yeah. they haven't had many of them. Barrios is one. And and B, he is putting to bed this pitch-to-contact wave of pitchers, the Kyle Gibsons, the, the pitchers that came before him. He's missing bats, and he can legitimately, if this is going to be him going forward, if he's going to mirror his minor league track record, mm-hmm. and if the stuff is going to lead to results... He's a guy that you can match up against almost any team's number one starter and feel good about your chances. Yeah, if it all works out, there, there are three awesome signs for Braos in his first two starts. One is what you were just saying. Not just on two-strike counts, being able to get swings and misses, but if a pitcher is regularly able to get swings and misses, it's a good leading indicator that he's probably a good pitcher. Now, there are exceptions, so I'm overgeneralizing, but like if you can't, for the life of you, get somebody to swing and miss at a pitch you're just kind of going to be limited, especially as a starting pitcher. But the other two things that are maybe going unnoticed, I'm not sure, he's throwing first pitch strikes about 70% of the time, which is way up from his numbers last year. I think he was throwing like 50 or 55% or something. Just something that's not good enough to get by in the big leagues. That's, hey, if you get ahead of this hitter, you are in control the rest of the at-bat, and then he'd still fall behind. Like, Mm -hmm. you know that... And if you still can't do it, it's what we saw with Kyle Gibson earlier this year. The third and final sign that I'll say that's great for Barreos, strike zone percentage. He's just hitting the strike zone so much more regularly. In fact, he's among the league leader in that metric. Zone percentage through his first two strike uh, through his first two starts. Those those three things are just sort of like putting numbers to what we've seen so far in his two dominant outings. And I think it suggests that. Yeah, he's ready. He's ready for the big time. He is ready to be the Twins' number two behind Irvin Santana. There was nothing he did last year in Rochester that led us to believe that that this wouldn't happen. I mean, this is not a fluke. I think what we saw last year was a guy who got up here and sort of just panicked at times, right? I mean, last year when things... Because I went to that first start against Cleveland, and he was actually pretty good. And where it went sideways for him from that start on with the Twins was one thing would go wrong. And he would start to 
basically panic. Sure. And, and so, but when you watch Buxton at the plate, you are saying to yourself, can you get your skills that you used at Rochester to transfer? With Barrios, the skills were there. It was a question of can can you harness it and get yourself controlled. And the thing I like is there's nothing I've seen in these two starts, because things have gone wrong. There's nothing that's gone wrong where he starts to panic. Yeah, I think those two things go hand in hand, though. I think what you're saying is true, that there's a maturity there this year. There's this, don't let this affect me. Uh, you know, oh, adversity? Oh, bad thing? Okay, I'm going to go get a strikeout when I need it. But I think that those two things play off each other. I think it's oversimplifying it to say, well, he's just a confident guy. It helps a lot when you're throwing tons of strikes and you're missing tons of bats because that then delivers a sense of confidence. It's, it's okay, I'm in a tight spot, and last year it was, all right, I'm in, I'm in a tight spot. Well, right. I need a strikeout. Okay, four-pitch walk. Well, you can't have that. That's just unacceptable, mm-hmm. and Boreas was unable to do that, whether it was nerves or, I think, a maybe more underlying concern of an inability to command the strike zone. Now this year, you're seeing both sort of married together, and it's the best of both worlds for the Twins and for Boreas. Uh Wetmore, what kind of insurance did the Twins have on that Phil Hughes contract that they pay through 2019? Yeah, I'll have to double-check that one. Uh, not yeah. sure what more they're getting out. I mean, he, that was, I mean, it's, we've driven this into the ground, but that was such a weird contract extension. I think you had to make him prove it for a second year, and now he's had the surgery, his velocity is down, um, disabled list. It's uh, it, it just doesn't look like he's right. ever going to go back to being a number three, number four starter that you can feel comfortable with on a regular basis. Well, and can, can we set something straight here? I think that there's... A- I get the tendency to be mad at Phil Hughes or to be you know upset that he's not performing well, but this dates back to last year, too. How can you separate the fact that he's had an injured shoulder and isn't living up to being the kind of pitcher that the Twins are hoping? Like, those two things are directly tied together. So if you're going to be mad at Phil Hughes, I guess just, like, be mad at the poor timing of the injury and the fact that he's 30 and now he's hurt and he might never get the fastball back? The same thing is going to happen with Glenn Perkins, too. Like We're going to be mad at if him, he does I hope I, sometimes people are weird about that. It's, if if a pitcher comes, if a pitcher is throwing eighty eight or eighty nine or eighty five, which, which Hughes has been doing, right, and used to throw ninety three or ninety five, that's a huge deal. So that's that's where you have to make a decision if you're a Phil Hughes or if if Perk eventually he's been throwing bullpens. You know, do, can you reinvent yourself enough, having been pitching in the big leagues for a decade? with lesser velocity, uh, or is it just sort of the end of the road for your effectiveness as a pitcher? If you go and take a lot of major league players and say, okay, nice little career you got going here. Sorry, but life circumstances dictate that I'm going to take away, I'm going to make you 70% of the player that you were before, whatever it is, I'm making up numbers, 80% of the player that you were before. Like has maybe happened with Joe Maurer, like has definitely happened with Phil Hughes. You can go on down the list, especially as guys age and get into their later stages of their career. This is baseball. This is this happens, especially with pitchers. They get hurt. It sucks for the Twins that they're going to be paying him a lot of money through 2019. Mm-hmm. But I don't view this as like, well, Hughes isn't a leader, so it's not working. It's well, Hughes got hurt. That sucks for the Twins. It sucks for Phil Hughes. And now he's just some shell of his former self. Do you think he's probably done? I don't know if he's done done, but I don't think he's ever back to 2014 Hughes. I think we've seen, you know, if he doesn't get back to that. And that year was not the, not the norm, correct? No, yeah, that was the best year of his career. So I'm, I'm, saying, finish. I'm saying he, he didn't have a great uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 and dropped off. He, he had, and I think, 
I honestly think that that's the frustration here from the fan base was he but had the, his first year with the Twins. Yeah, so you great. didn't. You just didn't need to. You could have sat there. I believe it, it was initially a three year contract. You yeah. very easily could have sat there and said, yeah. "Hey, you did a great job, and we really look forward to the next two years." Yep. Yep. I think that's yep. the frustration. That's not Hughes's fault, but right, I think right. that's the frustration. So should he have turned down a big money extension? <laughs> no, absolutely like, not. I'm just saying. I think when people get mad, they get mad. They get sure. mad about things like like fair that. Enough. And fair enough. And 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 I'm not here like you know. I'm not trying to defend Hughes. I'm just saying if you're going to be mad, let's be mad for the right reasons. Sure. And that would be a bad contract extension and a poorly timed injury. He's just he's not the same guy that he was, and that I mean that's obviously bad for the Twins starting rotation. But maybe Barrios can come and plug that hole. Uh, and be even better than what they'd been getting from Phil Hughes. Uh, if you want more of this amazing, insightful Twins talk from Derek Wetmore, this top-notch Twins talk, Touch Em All podcast, iTunes, 1500ESPN.com, or you can find Derek's work on our website, 1500ESPN.com. Good stuff, dude. Thanks, Thanks guys, for coming in. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.